where we talk about things with one super special guest every week. Just sit back, relax, and hear us speak on This Is Happening, the podcast. Hey, welcome back to This Is Happening. This is Eric Morris. And hi, it's Doug Butin. Hey, so we are quite out of practice for this. Um, you know, this uh, quarantine and COVID <laughs> um, has, uh, you know, definitely thrown a wrench into our plans. Doug is joining us via Skype, and today we have in person a guest. We have the lovely Billy Burgess. Hello. Hello, Thank Billy. you for having me. Billy is a reality television show producer and who has, you know, worked in television and film and done all kinds of things. Um, and Including some of my most favorite shows. Oh, really? Yeah, Doug is, Doug is a, a reality television aficionado. Um, and he definitely saw some things on your resume Got um, that I'm sure we will get into. Um, but welcome back, and thank you for joining us in this um, strange time of the plague. Yes. <laughs> um, how have you been faring in this time? You know, it's been one of those, I think like everybody I've talked to, it's sort of, uh, it's highs and lows. It's ups and downs. At the beginning, I think that I was, uh, at the very beginning, I think I struggled the most. I was like, the, uh, what is going on? And, you know, what are the rules? And how is this possible? And then people, I live alone, but I have friends that have, like, four roommates. And, you know, they were struggling to think it was okay to hang out with me. But I'm like, but you have, like, a roommate that is an Uber driver and is out all day. So what's the logic? So I really kind of was having trouble at the beginning. And uh, as time has gone on, I'm just... I've just embraced it and I'm trying to make it a work on projects and me and write and develop and utilize it for all the time that I haven't had in the past. So I'm, I'm good now, actually. I'm like, all right, let's keep whatever we need to do. Let's, let's get through this. Good for you. I, I have not been similarly productive. I, this has been a very strange time. <laughs> Don't you feel, Eric, like at this point, we should be fluent in Farsi. We should know how to knit. I should know how to play baseball. Like, I feel like, oh, shit, I didn't do anything. Yeah, I, I feel like I should have used this time, like you said, like to be productive and develop things. Well, let me, don't get me wrong. I mean, I haven't lost 20 pounds and I don't have, you know, like I, <laughs> I've like painted a room. You know, I've done things that you don't have time for. Like, I've, you know, garden. I've like put a photo album together. Who's done that in a long time? Who has time for that? You yeah, know? Indeed. So I'm not like, you know, I'm not writing my life bio. I'm just rolling with it and trying to make the best of it, you know? Well, cool. I mean, that's all any of us can do. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely been a challenging time. I've spent a lot of the time um, not in L.A. I was in Santa Fe, New Mexico for two months. Um, so, you know, that... Yeah, was, you were gone. You abandoned me. I know, I know. We did do one quarantine episode from there via Skype. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, I was, I was, uh, I was away. And so that, you know, that took me away from doing any like household projects and stuff like that. I mean, really what I'd like to do now is like just throw out half the things in my place. I mean, that's one of the things that you realize you're like, I'm at home more than I ever am. I'm like, I don't need this. I don't want that. I don't need to wait to do that project. It's been like, it's a weird thing, but living alone and being single, like I've spent a lot of time alone during this. And so it's like, it sort of is like, you know, yeah, just simplifying life, focusing on the things that I want to do, you know. Yeah. And there's no... I'm right there with you, Billy, because I'm also alone. Yeah. Although, um, I should say, I have been, I have to be careful of saying this out loud, I've been fighting with my Alexa. Um, that bitch is not only does she listen, she is a bossy fucking bitch and she will just start singing or playing music when I don't ask. And then when I do ask her to stop, she won't stop. And I think she's doing it on purpose. And so I just want to warn you for our listeners who live alone, um, be careful of your Alexa. They're terrible people. You're whispering so that she doesn't hear you. Yeah, I'm telling you, she is listening. But every now and then she'll just like chime in. Did you mean that? I'm like, no, shut up. She won't do it. 
<laughs> That's the scary thing about that, Alexa. Like, once I heard, to, in order to be ready to respond to anything, she's constantly listening. Literally, I got it for Christmas. I was excited. Unplugged it. Like, she has to constantly listen so that when you do say, I want this or that, that's why she's suggesting stuff. I say ditch Alexa and be alone for real. Oh, God. Yeah, I don't have Alexa. That's grim. <laughs> Sometimes she'll sing, though, and I'm okay with that. She sings to you? <laughs> she does. She can, she can tell a joke. Well, she's terrible at jokes, mm. actually. I should Maybe that's what I should do with my time, is teach Alexa how to tell a joke. Now, will that like work for all Alexas everywhere, or just yours? <laughs> I don't know. Mm. I've given mine an English accent, which I do appreciate. Oh, that's you can change. You can change your accents. I like that. So, Billy. Yes? Where are you from, originally? Um, I was born in Orange County. Okay. <clears throat> so, I'm a California native. I've grown up here, kind of beach towns most of my life. Lived down there till about junior high school or so, then was in the Santa Barbara area for a while, uh, through college, and then, um, and then briefly left to Seattle. Didn't work for me, came back to California, and I've been here since. What did you do up in Seattle? Um, I chased a friendship, relationship, and uh, learned what it was like to live somewhere where it snowed mm. and where it was a little different than California, and then I decided it didn't work for me, so then I moved back. To L.A.? Uh, I went to San Francisco, oh. uh, finished up school in San Francisco, and um, then from San Francisco moved here once I graduated because it was in film and television, so I moved to L.A. and started working, and have been here 20 years. Did you work in New York? Uh, I've worked in New York, uh, but I, not like locally, but I still work in New York. I just was uh, actually filming in New York in the fall, and I did a music video in New York maybe in like June of this last year. Well, because I noticed that you, uh, one of your, like, your very early jobs was with Bill Cosby um, on Kids Say the darndest things. Don't they? And he, <laughs> he says the darndest things, actually. He, you know. Yes. Yeah. Would, you like, would you like a cappuccino? <laughs> you know, it's funny, like, he, that was one of my earliest and first jobs in production and in reality TV, and I was so excited, uh, you know, because I grew up watching The Cosby Show. And before anything we knew about, you know, what we know now, you know, people would always ask sort of, you know, who have you met? And that's kind of a standard, like, what, who have you worked with? Who was really cool? Who was awful? And I, I, it always stuck with me early on, he was one of the awfuls. Like, uh, I was a production assistant, and uh, one of the, uh, you know, that, that CBS show where they brought back um, Kids Say the Darndest Things, they had Bill Cosby be the host, and my job was to often kind of take care of his kind of needs. And he was very difficult. Like, I just was yeah. like, I remember one, one shoot in particular on set where he was complaining about the temperature and, like, the kids were cold and he was just, like, didn't care. It was just something that was very off-putting and weird, you know, because I was young and new and new in L.A. and I didn't know... You know, you have this image of celebrities sort of on one side, and then all of a sudden you're working on the other side, and you're like, "Whoa, that he's so not he he's not Mr. Huxtable, Doctor <clears throat> Doctor Huxtable, <laughs> yes." Um, but uh, so he uh, he came out here to do that. See, I, I saw that, and I would have thought because he lives, you know, on the East Coast, and well, now he re resides in jail. But um, I didn't know that. Yeah, they shot um, Cosby Show was all shot in New hmm. York. Um, and so I would have assumed that, that he would have wanted that to be done there, but I guess he came and just kind of banged them out here. They would do like a bunch at once. And, uh, you know, one story in particular with that one that like, re re like I always will never forget. And, and now I've been 20 years in the business. I've worked with a lot of people. You have different sort of stories, but his was, I had a request that he wanted chocolate covered Entenmann's donuts. So... I had to go out and find these, and I went to a couple stores, and uh, like the first or second store didn't have that brand. Then it, like I kind of bounced around, and then as a what I thought was a you know being productive as a you know person in the business was I'll give him some options, and 
I came back and he was like, uh, why, like, are the, none of these are Entenmann's. And I was like, well, I went to three stores and I didn't find them. So I thought I'd bring you some different options. And, you know, as a production assistant, I thought that was a better thing to do. Is like, here's some options. Not, I couldn't find them. So Bill Cosby wanted chocolate covered Entenmann donuts. Yes. And I never have thought of the brand except... I think of him anytime I hear it, see it. I don't even know really the brand. I've never bought them. Once in a while, I'll see them. And now that I've had them, they are quite good. I might make somebody make the extra, you know, trip to look for them. But I looked, I found Hostess Donuts. I found multiple donuts. I thought I was being... I feel like they're bigger on the East Coast, I have to say. Don't you think, Doug? Entenmann? I am a huge fan of Entenmann's. I have to say I prefer an Entenmann's to a Drake's Cake. Um... A now, what exactly did he want from Entenmann? He wanted the Entenmann chocolate-covered donuts, where they have that crisp chocolate outside cover, which... Yes, they've got a tempered chocolate crispy outside with, like, a yellow cake inside. Yes. I have to say, I was a little surprised. I find those Entenmann's chocolate donuts quite dry. I mean, they may be, but I, now that I've had them, I understand why you might be... Uh, excited to get them. However, but when, when you, you press are... a quaalude into that, yes, it, just, yes, it really exactly. just it opens up the flavor. <laughs> it doesn't really change much. <laughs> uh, you know, Bill Cosby and I met once and he hated me. Hated me. Really? Where did you meet? At Friends? Yes. Or... At Friends, He's I was the you know, celebrity liaison tour guide and Bill and the wife Camille. Yes. Yeah. They came to look at the school for their son uh, or daughter, one or the other. Ensa? Well, their son was, it was, was named Ennis. He was murdered here in, yeah. in L.A., but, oh. but at that time the, he was still alive, this, obviously. It was one who was heart, uh, had like a hearing impairment. Anyway, you know, it was a Quaker school, see? So everyone was on a first-name basis. And um, the first thing you're supposed to say to the parent is like, do I, so I said to him, do, I, do you want me to call you? Bill or William, and he said, you call me Dr. Cosby. And then the admissions lady was like, well, actually, part of the school and the Quaker philosophy is that we're on a first-name basis, our principal is Joyce, and our headmaster is Barkley, and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, I'm not happy about it. I want you to call me Dr. Cosby. And she was like, um... She looked at me like, I, I was a fucking ninth grader. Like, what the hell was I going to do? But ultimately, I did call him Bill. And um, then he said he wanted the school shut down. He wanted the kid excused from school five minutes early for security's sake. And um, I said, well, you know, we have like diplomats, kids. We have a lot of like people of great import at the school. I don't know if they're going to bend the rules for your son. And he just he did not want to hear it. So he obviously didn't go there. Some entitlement. He didn't, it was not a fit, as no. we would say in, in the academic world. No <laughs> fit. That was, but I didn't give him a donut. He's been a nightmare forever. Yeah. So, what, what was happening with those donuts? I mean, needless to say, I came back with four different donuts. There was no intimates in LA. People did here didn't give a shit. I thought I was being a good, you know, production person with options. Yeah. And he was like, uh, I specifically asked for Entenmann Donuts, and neither, none of these are Entenmann's, so no, I'm not. You know, it was just a really weird, I couldn't, you know, quote me the verbatim, but I just remember being like, whoa, like, really? Like, you just got four chocolate donuts, you might eat one in the course of your six hours of filming, and he was an asshole. He was an asshole, and, uh... I remember very vividly being on set and him complaining about the temperature, but then like the stage manager, somebody saying, well, the kids were a little cold and he's like, well, I don't care. This doesn't, you know, this isn't their show. Something like that. He was just, when people ask about difficult celebrities, he was one of the earliest in my career, but he is also one that stood out long before Quaaludes and Raping Women came out. So, so you when it came really, out, it was, was like, there ever a time where a kid said something that got Bill Cosby pissed off? There was one particular incident I remember where there was it was this temperature thing, and I can't remember what it was because it's been so long, and I wish years ago I would have written some of this down, but it was something like you know the because kids had to have their moms there as kids say the darndest things, you know and. There was like a thing about whether it was cold or not, and he was like, well, put a sweater on, you know, like, and we had to stop down, and it was just so, I just remember it being so ridiculous, and also it, it striking me as, 
being curmudgeon and old and like, uh, like what? You're you're not warm enough or you are too hot and you need to, it was just, it was stupid. And I just remember thinking of him growing up as Dr. Huxtable. I was like, what a dick. And it was an early, early, I think probably one of the first uh, celebrities that I'd worked with. Cause I, that production company I worked with was one of my first jobs. And yeah, he they was like the, America's dad. Yeah, totally, totally. But you didn't hear anything about, um, you know, him drugging or raping. Nothing or like that. No, no, no. Just, I mean, I also, another thing I remember offhand was that we would shoot at a local studio here. Uh, what's the one that's up here that now Netflix is at and stuff? Sunset Gower? Yes, maybe Sunset Gower. Yeah, so. or Netflix. Or no, I don't know if that's the other one that used KTLA. Anyway, they, we shot there, and I just remember also us having to do these like extravagant things for his dressing room when, you know, we were there, we would shoot like, you know, six episodes in the course of like three days, like, you know, a weekend, we'd shoot a whole season. It wasn't very long. And we would, you know, have to bring in rugs and plants and all this. And mind you, now that I've been in the business, yes, people request things, but I was just like, really? Like you've just, you're here for like four days and you know, you're worried about the rug. Like it just seemed very strange to me. It was like one of my earliest, you know, re like experiences basically yeah. with a big celebrity. I had those riders to those contracts. Yeah, those riders. I mean, it's one thing when it's food, but when you're like, I need four plants, it's a little fucking ridiculous. I actually had heard things about, I, I knew an actress that knew him, and um, I had heard things about him, you know, like being inappropriate with women. There were... I, I was just thinking about all the crazy writers he must have had in his contract, like, a back door here, and you know, <laughs> certain pills here. Do you know? I saw um, Joan Crawford's writer for mm. when she made appearances on behalf of PepsiCo. Did I ever tell you that? No. She had crazy shit in her writers. It says anytime Ms. Crawford went uh, on behalf of PepsiCo, somebody showed me from the um, Pepsi Vault, and um, she it said like. Ms. Crawford does not like tipping. Please do not tip anyone in her presence. And her hairdresser had to have the room below her. And her pilot had to have the room next to her. And she had to have like cracked ice and then all these different spirits mm. in a bucket in her room at all times. She didn't like tipping? <laughs> so no. she, she went to a restaurant, she wouldn't allow anyone to tip? You could not tip anyone in her presence. Like if someone helped her with her bag or something. You're her assistant <laughs> and you ask the bellman to help her check in. Checking in and yeah. like, he's like, don't tip that bellman. Don't. I'd really love to give you a tip, but Ms. Crawford was here, so thanks. <laughs> well, we know her legacy, so that really did work out for her. Yeah. Oh. Like her legacy is that. And Bill Cosby, well, you know, bless him. He got, he got his legacy. He certainly did. He's in jail now. Um, now, Billy, I was fascinated to see that you have association with one of my most favoritistest ever shows and a show that I watched um, as much of as, as I think they made. And that would be House Hunters oh, International. Yes. yes. You scared and me for a minute there because I, I was like... Hunters. There's like, there's some bad ones on that show list that, you know, I'm like, I'm not sure I can talk about. <laughs> you scare me. House Hunters International, amazing show. It was one of the best. I still love it. Do you know it. how obsessed I am with Adrian Leeds and all of her Parisian properties? I stalk her on Instagram. And in fact, for my, for my sound check, I said Andromeda Dunker, who used to be the voice of House Hunters International. I love it. International. It's a great show. I mean, it's like it's like it makes you want to move out of the country and travel, and uh, it's fun to work on. So it's an Super international it, real estate. Can you tell me anything? Is it is it a fun show to work on? It is definitely, definitely. I would say one of the ones I love working on. No complaints. Great company that produces it. Um, you know, generally good people. They're on the show because they're excited and they you know they they have a good story and they've they've moved or they want to move and um is that on hgtv hgtv yeah. okay yeah the only thing is like you know which house they're going to end up with because it's the one with the unmade bed and a new mattress 
Do you think? Uh, see, because there's some, we, we, there are the, the Mr. X. We try to get the Mr. X in there. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Some, I remember there was one in Italy where the couple was moving from Boston, and in one of the houses that they looked at, there just happened to be a poster that said, Boston in the kitchen. Well, I uh, knew that's where they were going to end up. That, that sounds like that was probably a slip from whoever was producing that, because they should have taken that, uh, that down. <laughs> uh, but so for, I do, I, I'm, obs really, I'm obsessed with the show, so it's a fun show. thank you for all of your service. Now, you directed some of those, or yeah. I think it, it listed just, oh, Multiple episodes. have you worked with Adrian Leeds in Paris? No, I didn't. I mean, you, generally the way that show works, because it's so popular and it's international now, is they have producers that kind of cover regions, um, you know, because it makes no sense to send me in L.A. to uh, Paris, let's say, because uh, it'll course. cost a lot of money to send me there, so, you know, where they can get a producer that's, let's say, based in London or, or in Paris for that oh, matter. So you don't travel with it. I they, do, but I, I would do, like, you know, a lot of my episodes were all, like, uh, Mexico or the Caribbean or, you know, sort of in this area where it makes sense to send me. You know, oh, things okay. that were like, let's say if it was a Bermuda show, they'd probably send a New York producer because it was a quick flight right. from there. Oh, so you would do like all the Cabo ones. Oh, I did like Cabo and Puerto Vallarta was my mainstay. And, um, and also I would do sometimes, there's also, you know, with International, they have the backstory, which is sort of where they are before they move. Uh, yes. And so I would do all the backstories that were also West Coast. So it, it could be somebody that I'm moving from Portland or I'm moving from Seattle or I'm moving from L.A. or I'm moving from uh, Phoenix. So I would do all their pre-stories. And then for the people that moved, they could be, let's say, in New York, but they would have to be moving to Puerto Varda or, you know, Cabo San Lucas or something like that. Okay, but here's my question then. Because obviously... They're already, we know this, I'm not, it's not a spoiler alert. Like they're already, you know, like in escrow, they've already purchased the property by the time the show is shooting. Why does it only say three months later when we go back in air quotes to revisit them? It's always three months, Billy, always. You know, it's funny you say that because I've never noticed whether it said three months or not. I had no idea. I thought maybe they the mixed only, it up. I'll tell you, the only exclusion to the three-month rule is the people who bought the fa the farmhouse in France, and it said eight months because they were doing reno. The guy in Greece who bought the thing for his mother and then she died, and that was seven months. Everybody else is three months later. Well, well the three months is really... <laughs> The Your total recall of this show is, is really it's that amazing. Is funny. Um, I would say that like there, it's neither three months or eight months. So there's, and I'll, the only reason I'm gonna share this is because it is out in the blogosphere and it's in press and they've talked about it. And you know, like it was a big shocker when uh, you know these these home real uh, real estate shows. It was like, oh, these people already own the houses, and like you know, of course, it was a big story, and I think the uh, variety and all these things but it was like yeah you can't you can't hinge a show on which show that which house they're gonna uh buy so you sort of reverse engineer it from you know the house that they bought and what are the other houses they looked at what are other things that were comps what were the things that they struggled with deciding you know they would get or not get um so they all kind of work that way in a sense um and generally, so the three months later, whether it's three months or whatever, is kind of when we're there filming. And I, I don't think that's a secret to tell. I think, you know, obviously, you know, we're there. And if you're in Mexico and we're filming your house, like, we can't wait three months. We were there and we film them. So right. generally speaking, it's sort of like we try to take the houses back to... Uh, you know, the way they were when they were looking at them. So, you know, whether you empty them out or you right. know, make them sort of look like they're a comparable home. And then the quote three months later would be, all right, here's your furniture back in and their friends are there or whatever their lifestyle is. So if they were moving there to start a business, we show what their business is they're doing and things like that. Um, so the eight months, if there was renovations, they were probably using it. They have like spinoffs that are like, you know, House, House Hunters International renovation, and you check in and you actually see how they've progressed right. sort of in, you know. And now they're doing um, sort of retrospectives because of COVID, I'm guessing. 
they're um, the house, the people who buy the house are sort of watching the episode back with their real estate person and just telling us, you know, what has happened since. They're a little less satisfying, if I'm honest. But the other show, Billy, was Island Hunters with that little will of a wisp, that that gentleman who definitely sounds Canadian, um, yes, who must Canadian. weigh no more than 80 kilos with a 50 kilo weight on his back. Yes. And that little skinny thing with those huge shorts. How, did you ever have to look him in the face? And did you not laugh? <laughs> Um, I did, the, I, I, and I'm not sure, yes, yes. There was uh, our host, and he also had his husband, who uh, also was on the show as... as, as uh, that was his husband? Wait a minute, this is T. I did not, I don't think they ever admitted to that. Did they not? I, feel like I don't think so, until now. I feel like that, that's out there somewhere, maybe I'm wrong. But I mean, I think if you went to their Instagram, you would see it. So I don't think I'm blowing any big story. I think if you looked, yes. Yeah. So the the uh, the host basically um, sort of specialized in selling islands, and it started with the I believe maybe the Vancouver coast or something, where he was you know real estate agent in in Canada and and focused on private islands and things like that. He started the magazine. Uh, that was like a private island real estate magazine. And uh, and then that, of course, started focusing islands from all over the world. Like, you know, real estate agents would be like, oh, well, let's advertise this property because, you know, people that are in the market to buy an island, this, you know, is a great way to do it. So he started getting listings from all over the world for the magazine. And then I think from the magazine kind of spawned the show, which was like, well, now you know he has these properties all over the world. Let's let's feature them and um, you know see people looking at them. So yeah, I did a couple of those. Went to the Caribbean. I went to uh, Croatia, which was really cool. I hadn't been to Croatia before. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So and it's a beautiful show, despite the fact that they're the host is a little creepy and he'll say things like, "Thanks so much for coming out here." And yeah. You're like, oh come on. We're not in Canada. Let's go out and look at the island. Uh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, he. I, I think so. I, uh, some people have a natural knack for being on TV, and some people are like, you know, like he, I think he's, he's naturally more a, um, a, a real estate agent, and uh, great guy, nice guy, good work with, working with him, but... Uh, you know, didn't, in my opinion, I wasn't, he, you know, he wasn't completely natural in front of the camera. And I think maybe that's what you, you know, caught on to. He's a little bit stiff, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Is so that, is that show related how many to... islands are for sale? It's crazy. Amazing. Like, that was a huge thing for me. Not only are they for sale, but for rent. Like, I was like, why would I buy a shitty condo in L.A. for $1.5 when I can have my own private island in like, you know, in somewhere like, I don't know, Peru or, you know, Colombia or something like that. Well, just ask Jeffrey Epstein, you know, you can do a lot of things on a private island. You can. <laughs> I don't know. I just know that an island is cool. Entenmann's Island. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, somebody that wishes they bought an island years ago. Is that show... Um, Related to in House Hunters International, or do well, they just have the, the word hunter? How it works is, I think, uh, with HGTV, they sort of built a brand with the hunters right. thing. So as shows would get pitched there that were related to real estate, I think sometimes they would choose to brand a show just to kind of build that. So it was House Hunters was a starter, which is you know a production company here in LA, and it was about buying homes in uh, here in you know in America, and then that spawned. House Hunters International, and then House Hunters International has been to, you know, House Hunters, uh, Island Hunters, or other hunters, there's... And there's enough people... one, too. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's another, I've also done, like, Beachfront Bargain Hunt, and... You know, Love it! I've seen yeah. that one. Yep. And they need a, a house on stilts. Yes. There's enough she, people buying islands to do a show? I, actually, of all those... 
Islands were, island hunters was a tough one because there isn't a lot of people in the market. And I think that's why, you know, like some Seems of these other franchises that have gone forever and ever and ever and ever. Like, you know, when you are in the market to buy a, an island, you don't necessarily want to be on a TV show to right. divulge your buying an island. So often we had sellers, you know, people that were trying to unload an island, but not often the buyer's story was a tough one, I would say. Like, yeah. You know. Right. Hmm. Have you seen that show with the people who win the lottery? Yeah. They have David Gromstad show yes. that property production have you company seen that I work one? for. Yes, love it. It's very odd. Well, like, it's, I it's... would think I wouldn't want everyone to see, but the people who he has are like they won like eighty five thousand dollars. You know, and they're trying to buy a ten thousand dollar condo. It's always a little odd to me. Well, I think with that show. Um... You know, it's, it's, uh, I think people that have just won the lottery, they're very, you know, it's like, it's sort of usually uh, total life change. They're more excited about sort of celebrating that. And, um, and that's actually very different than like, uh, you know, House Hunters International or Islanders. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's real people that have like finally come into some money and they want to find something that is, uh, uh, you know, their dream home, so to speak. Um, I didn't, I haven't worked with David. I've worked on the, at that same production company and, you know, in that world, but, um, the people are really cool. They're genuine. They're like, you know, they're just sort of celebrating the fact that they've won money basically. So it's a different sort of energy, I think with the buyer, you know, they're like, you know, it's like their life has changed and they're excited and they're, you know, they, they're like, oh, I want a house for my kids. And my husband wants a, has always wanted a workroom. And like, you know, so you have this energy that's a little different than, let's say, you know, House Hunters International. Okay. Um, you've also worked on The Bachelor, which is a I big... Early days. Big I was hit. on the first, the first Bachelor. The first season of it? Alex, which nobody remembers. I think it's... Wow. Was it Alex? Hasn't it been like 18 or something seasons? I think or? longer than that at this point, 20-something. Yeah. I mean, I'm certainly not an expert because there's been multiple years past me, but I worked on maybe the first five or six in various ways uh, up to like, I think uh, Andrew Firestone might have been the last Bachelor I did. Um, did the you know first Bachelorette, Trista, I remember. like I worked on a lot of the uh, after shows and then... Um, yeah, it was that, that particular time, what happened was I was at MTV and reality was booming and a couple big EPs from uh, MTV, you know, shifted over to Warner Brothers and Telepictures and I kind of went with that and uh, I was, I bounced around from uh, working as a associate producer and, you know, supporting the, the full show. Then I, then I shifted out of that and I had gone on to other things and I would do all the women tell all and the after the final rose specials. Um, and then that kind of lasted till maybe like the, you know, fifth or sixth season. And then I was done with that, moved on. Mm. I never really watched the bachelor, but, um, obviously... I, I watched a couple of times the bachelor. I think the bachelorette is better because there's more men. Yeah. <laughs> Better for you. <laughs> I mean, the one thing that was like a fun experience was we did uh, years back after about five or six years into the series, they were like, why we need to get some of these fan favorites together. So I did a, a special, which never saw the light of day, which was uh, essentially a pilot for Bachelor Pad, I believe, or Bachelor in Paradise, which is essentially they bring fan favorites all back, you know, from different seasons and they all sort of like house. live together. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, one of the early things that I did was produce, we, we took like 10 or 12 girls from different seasons to Vegas and did a whole weekend um, filming there. And I think that sort of was the idea that became, you know, Bachelor in Paradise or some of these, you know, fan favorite shows. Um, which was crazy and fun, you know, it was, it was a blast. Well, what led you into to reality, you know, television producing? I mean, because if you've been doing it for like 20 years, you, you were, um, 
you know, kind of a pioneer towards the beginning of it. I mean, you know, it was more than 20 years ago that the real world started. Um, yeah, I mean, I've done it more than 20 years. I, I moved here in 99 and uh, I started working in reality right then. So Yeah, I mean, I think 20, that 20, the real 20, world 20. probably started in like 1990 yeah. or 91. Or I mean, there's like real that. world cops. I, I moved to L.A. Oh, and I, I wanted yeah. to work on... You know, I just wanted to, I think maybe just graduating. I remember a couple of my sort of, which is so cheesy, but my like, oh, it'd be fun to work at MTV. I just remember thinking, like, coming off of high school, college, it'd be fun to work at MTV. And then I was like, you know, then I started thinking of a couple companies that would be cool to work for. Um, I don't think at that time there was such a differentiation that we knew, like, I knew that I was pursuing, let's say, a reality career. Like, I came off of just, you know, production and the regular sort of yeah. schooling, and it just was the time that reality boomed. So I worked uh, as a production assistant for a company called LMNO Productions, uh, which is the one that did Kids Say the Darndest Things, and uh, they also did a show called the uh, Guinness Book of World Records, which I also worked on. And then from that, it led to a job at MTV. And then that was always kind of like one of my goals was, you know, why that was a goal. It was, I don't think I was thinking career. It was what just was like, the job at MTV? Producer? At that time, I was just a PA. But oh. I was just like, I want to work at MTV. It seems like it'd be fun and cool. And uh, and then so well, that led to... Sort of the heyday, right? They were just yes. doing all of these new programs. It was Absolutely. an exciting adventure. Absolutely. And they had a cool office in Santa Monica. Oh, right? absolutely, with the trailer and everything. So I trailer where you could put your bags in like a locker. Yes. So I jumped in there, and then that led to like a four or five, maybe even six, five years or so of like MTV jobs, which is just sort of then at that point you're like, all right, I guess I'm in reality TV, and that was like, you know, I started and I was working. In those heydays, as you were just saying, like we did spring break and we did these big like you know, go to Mexico and you'd film for a week and we did Snowed In where there would be concerts up in the, you know, mountains and they would ski and I spent a summer at the MTV Beach House, you know, working in the Beach House. Uh, and it was fun. It was like a lot of people from that time. That was in Malibu, right? It varied every year. Yeah. I mean, the year I worked was at Mission Beach in San Diego. Oh, okay. Uh, which I think it was probably 2001 or somewhere around there. Like... Um, you know, but that was a great opportunity because they ran programming all day at this, you know, temporary stage, which was essentially a house and you worked on multiple shows. And so I, I could do like TRL and then I could be doing, you know, a talk show and you sort of bounce around and, you know, meet people. And a lot of the, uh, people I met in those early MTV days, it's weird. MTV is a family where I think even to this day, people... Um, you know, look out for each other and help each other in their career. And I'm still friends with a lot of the people I met in those early MTV days. And so just suddenly, all of a sudden, it's like, all right, you're in reality TV. And it just kind of happened. It wasn't like I pursued it, per se. It was just the what was big at that time. And that was what my career sort of took me in that direction. Well, and I think one job leads to another because, totally. like, you know, you credential yourself for um, that kind of storytelling and, and you know, and uh, producing that content. And you develop a network of people who go on to other shows and things. And then that's what you end up doing. I mean, I feel like that's, you know, what our friend um, Chris Lasada you know, ended up doing, you know, he worked on Big Brother for a while and that, you know. I did the pilot of that show. Oh, you did? Actually, also the only show I was ever fired from. Oh, no. Not fired. Was I fired? I guess I was asked to go home, which I still think is a very funny story. It was, it was called The Big House when it was a pilot. That was the working title. And I think it was take, then taken over by other people after the it was different produ It was different producers in the end because in the end it was produced by... Um, Allison. Allison Grodner. Yeah. And she was great and nice woman. I met with her later. But the first, the pilot I did was called The Big House. And uh, there was a line producer from MTV that did it, brought me on, hired me. And I was, uh, I worked a couple days and there was just a really mean producer that, uh, I mean, at this, this stage in my career too, I was still, you know, I didn't know that. Sometimes you just need to keep your mouth shut. And I've always been somebody that doesn't keep my mouth shut. 
So this guy on like the third or fourth week, like he called me like Bobby or something. And I was like, uh, my name's Billy. And I've, you know, I've like told you like three or four times and, you know, just would be really show a tiny bit of like, <laughs> you know, respect if you could just remember, like it's not Bobby. And I've mentioned a couple times and, and then I was asked by the line producer later that day that today would be my last day for speaking up and asking them to remember my name. But it was, this was like three weeks in and I was just like, all right, now you're just seeming like a condescending dick right. by not like using my real name. Like, um, you know what I mean? First, generally first couple days work, do you just go from show to show? Is it about working with the same production company? I mean, it's over varied the over like, the years. What's been your experience? I think it's varied over the years. And I would say that like, uh, you know, different things lead you on different paths. So when I, I, you know, I was sort of a fan of all the uh, real estate shows, for example, like we were talking about, you know, at HGTV. And so I was like, well, why am I not doing that? Like, why am I not traveling to Portugal to watch somebody like, you know, look for a house? I was like, I need that right now. And so then, you know, doing that and doing that one show would lead led to like two years, actually, of HGTV shows from, you know, all kinds of pilots, all kinds of different series so it, it i think in what has happened is different jobs have sort of you know pushed a trajectory um you know in more recent years i had not done a lot of the sort of real housewives the the docuseries the you know like drama heavy drama type shows not that i wasn't you know capable it just wasn't something that i had done a lot of i'd done you know uh even I, at one point I did a Food Network show that led me on like a year of food shows. Uh, so it varies. And so- Which show? Wait, hold on. Stop, please. Which show? I mean, at Food Network I did a bunch of pilots, but I was on Cupcake Wars for like five or six seasons or seven. Oh, maybe. that's right. Is that Jonathan Bennett? It was before Jonathan. Like Jonathan took up the, um, we were, I think that they, they canceled the show. And then it was down for a couple years, maybe. And then it was revived. Maybe it was revived when Discovery bought it, but don't mark, I'm not sure. But it was revived. And then Jonathan Bennett came back as the host. But no, I was worked on it when Justin was the host, who now has a magic show on Netflix. And he was always a magician and just kind of fell into the hosting job there. I mean, maybe that's wrong. I don't know that I should say that. Like, I know that. But I, it felt like something that he just sort of got as an audition. And then all of a sudden it was like, here we are, seven seasons later, selling cupcakes. And same with Candace from, you know, from, uh, uh, what's her company? The Cupcake Lady. Uh, you know. And that woman started Sprinkles. The host was, yeah. one or Not the host. One of the judges started Sprinkles. And then another host is a famous pastry chef from France um, who I, I believe was the creator of the macaron. Maybe I'm wrong. I forget some of this. Probably stuff. not. I think it's La Lagerie. He was like a famous macaron uh, baker. And, I feel like uh, macarons have been around for so long. Maybe. Yeah, no, I'm probably wrong. But he was like known for it. I think that was his catch. And then Candace was known for, you know, essentially bringing cupcakes back to the forefront of, you know, just like buy one at the bakery kind of a thing. Yeah. I feel like it's Magnolia Bakery in New York was the, kind of at the forefront of that too. Um, but yeah, sprinkles, all of that. Um, so in addition to Bill Cosby, you've also worked with some other famous people like Janet Jackson, Michael Jackson. What did you do for Janet Jackson? Um, for was Jan that at MTV? For Janet, it was a. Uh, it was actually at VH1, so same same thing. At that point, uh, yeah. the building was, you know, VH1, MTV, Comedy Central, and Nickelodeon. We were all together in Santa Monica, and often you would kind of shift around. So um, at that time in my jobs, I was working a lot of of award shows, which, like you were saying, one show sort of leads to your other. So there was like a weird, you know, two years or year of so my like career. VMAs. Oh, I worked VMAs. I worked Oscars. I worked the, the Grammys. Oh, yeah. I worked all of those and was in the talent department. When we say Janet Jackson, what's the first word that comes to your mind? Super sweet. She was like so nice. Like I have nothing bad. 
She was awesome. She was down to earth. She had sweats on and no makeup and was like super sweet, like like sweet and cute. And she complimented me on my sunglasses. I remember and made a joke about wanting to buy them. And I was, you know, I'm like they're they're like twenty dollar Venice Beach specials. They're nothing. She's like, okay, so I'll give you twenty five. You know, she was really funny and cute about it. Yeah. She's like, they're cute. I like them. I don't care where they're from. And uh, she was very nice. I liked her a lot. She was fun to work with. I know uh, dancers who have worked with her, and I've heard nothing but good things. She seems genuinely... Doesn't she live in Dubai? Well, she was married to um, a guy, like a billionaire there, but that ended. Yeah, I don't know her. They have a child, so she may have to spend some time there still. Maybe. I know that like her revival concert was phenomenal, and... I have nothing bad to say about her. Yeah, I've she's seen her in concert. She's amazing. She was in the last Hollywood Bowl show she did. I mean, you're just like, you forget about the hits. She is, she, you know, she's arguably been a, an amazing force in pop music for a long time. You and still, an actress. Do I mean, you still have a hookup for tickets for her or no? I don't know that I do, no. <laughs> I mean, my, my Jackson family hookups are, I don't know where they are, actually. At this well, point. Michael's dead, but you also... Couple, you also interacted with him. Yeah, I they, yeah I worked in couple I worked in in a uh, couple times interacted more than once intimately like uh, I went to Neverland Ranch for a birthday party that oh, he had a child's birthday party. No, it was uh, <laughs> it was his and I'd have to look at the dates to know it was probably in like. It was Billy. Bill Cosby uh, together again. <laughs> <laughs> no, his like Neverland Ranch was like an experience for sure. Uh, it was wild. It was, it was. I mean, yeah, to have seen that while he was there, and when he lived there, and when it was in its peak, and the irony was, I worked this whole like very you know brief chapter. It was maybe like six months. Um, what happened was, I worked. Uh, he was getting like a lifetime achievement award at the Radio Music Awards, and this is when I was working award shows a lot and uh, I was working with Clear Channel who was producing this Radio Music Awards in uh, in connection with I think NBC or something and so we did they would do this big award show in Vegas which really what it became was the iHeart Music is what they turned it into so it was a it's it's the same Clear Channel owns iHeart it's the same thing so they were doing a uh, like to listen to this podcast on iHeartRadio. Thanks for joining us on iHeartRadio.com. There you go. <laughs> and they were, you know, they would do a, a big award show in Vegas. They, you know, bring a bunch of artists, and then what part of that was was all of these different radio channels could set up in a in a sort of convention space, and an artist like Michael Jackson could hit 50 markets in the country in like an hour. He could right. just sit down and walk around the room. So I produced and worked on that show and worked with like them that whole event um, and worked with the EPs of, of Clear Channel. And one of my duties was to just make sure that his camp, so to speak, was okay and his people and his family and whoever was with him was okay. And uh, All it was the boys. a wild experience for sure. Like I, I His little boy guests. He didn't have little boys <laughs> at that point, but um, you know, like I, I, back then, of course, I was an avid Michael fan and supporter of of, of now. Maybe He's incredibly talented. Changed my opinion a little bit now, but uh, yes, no, totally talented well, and amazing, but also yeah, it's like hard to separate all that. Yes, he was. I mean, my first interaction was him doing a press event because the uh, the particular radio music awards that he was there he was getting a lifetime achievement award so they made it a huge deal this was right prior to his second the martin Bashir scandal which is what reignited that second trial and the him fleeing to dubai and all that so it was like literally right prior to that and i was super excited because i saw an opportunity i worked with him his team was like you were so great and you know, like, let's have you work again. And that's how I ended up going to the birthday at Neverland Ranch. And um, uh, my first experience, he did a press conference and he came out and he was so shy and was like kind of hiding and like very nervous about talking to people. And then he released a video, which no one's going to remember, but he did this like We Are The World style sort of fundraiser song, which I couldn't even remember off the top of my head right now, but it was 
you know, like we are the world, and he had Beyonce and you know everybody big at that time, NSYNC, and you know they were all they all came, Celine Dion, and they all would did like a portion of the song. It was a fundraiser. Maybe it was like a post 9-11. Actually, now that I think about time-wise, it was maybe a 9-11 fundraiser. And, you know, the whole idea was he was going to get this lifetime achievement, release this song. It was going to be a big deal. I think it was about like saving the children or something Something. Like that. And then literally within three months of this whole like Michael's Back relaunch, like the Martin Bashir scandal show came out and then he was being like, you know, raided again by the Santa Barbara police and... Um, Were there interesting people at that party? Was like Elizabeth Taylor there or something like that? It was, I mean, what I got to, my job was to make sure that he and his camp was okay. So like my crazy stories from that was, there was one point where he walked through the mall in Vegas to like shop and like that was super like crazy and being around him. And um, one night I had to take Joe Jackson out to parties, which was kind of funny. <laughs> and we went to a P. Diddy's like room or something. And I had to just make sure that he got to places and got home. And, um, you know, there's like little things like that. And then of course his birthday at Neverland was a whole different ball game. Cause yeah, that's what I, I wasn't meant. working. So right, you weren't what? So I was wondering who, who was there. If there was if, uh, at that point, the people I remember like, uh, Chris Tucker was there, like uh, Aaron Carter, Nick Carter, uh, you know, there was people that were in his camp in those early 2000s, you know, it was like anybody that had done that song per se was there, you know, there was like, I mean, I can't even remember to be honest, I'd have to look, but it was maybe his 45th or 6th or something like that, and it was like, it was at the house. Mm. Um, you was know. there a gift bag? Uh, there was not a gift bag, you know, actually. And this was like right when camera phones started happening. And so they actually compensated our phones. And this was like, I mean, I had one really rough, shaky, like flip phone video at one point of Michael Jackson. It was just so pixelated and awful. But, um, yeah, they took our phones away. Um, but it was sort of like a free-for-all, like you could wander the estate, but you couldn't go into the main house. Um, a couple of us, which friends I'm still friends with today, we, we joke about how we swam in his swimming pool, because they didn't say the pool was off limits, so as we got <laughs> drunk, like there was like a little pool house, and I, people have heard these stories, he has swimsuits in every size. Like, they're all there, you know, from, like, kitty size all the way up to grown man. So we just slipped on, you know, a couple of swim trunks. Probably from kitty size to larger kitty size. Right. (laughs) And then we jumped in and we swam for a while and then we're asked to get out of the pool. But, like, he had, you know, all the rides open. He had the theater open. He had additional, like, big tents. Um, It was a big, it it was crazy at that time, I think, about, like, now. Yeah. It was a wild experience. And it was literally... Like three weeks later, that he was raided by the the police. I mean, it was not maybe a month. It was not long, and I was very excited because I saw this opportunity. Uh, at that time, there was a somebody in his team that said Michael films everything he does, and this is true. And I'm wondering when this day will come when this footage sees the light of day. But like, talk about a reality show documentary. He had a crew following him all the time that he just paid out of pocket, filmed things. And uh, and so this guy that I was working with was like, oh, would you be interested in sort of maybe like being part of that team? Like he's always filming things when there's an event or da da da. And so, you know, at that point in my career, I thought it was gonna be a really cool experience. And, you know, I remember being devastated when he was like raided and then he ran to Dubai and was like, I'll never return to Neverland. And it was like, oh, cause it was magical. I remember feeling like, oh, I get this, I get this. Like, this is like, you're creating this fantasy world where you can escape, and it felt like this fun fantasy. Yeah, he created a a fantasy child amusement park, you know. I mean, and for someone who was, you know, robbed of his childhood, you know, you kind of get, you know, where he was coming from. It was Disneyland. I remember bumper cars, and I remember the Ferris wheel and all that. It was like, well. And he wasn't ever convicted of anything, and he's dead now, so rest in peace. Yes, but I do will say, as an avid fan for years after the documentary have changed my opinion i don't i I think where there's smoke there's fire and it's not i mean i always i I mean it's just he wasn't People like well where's the evidence i'm like how many kids do you need it wasn't subtle there's five it looked 
There's been four or five. It looked like that's what was happening, yeah. you know, since, since the 80s. It's sad. But when people are like, oh, but he's this amazing artist and everything, I'm like, well, you can be both. That's right. Like, you know, like, it's the same thing when the, 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 undeniably the child talented. stands up and right. says... They're not mutually exclusive. Exactly. It's like when you see a parent that's like, I didn't know my dad was a serial rapist or killer. And this has happened. You see these people that stand up and they're like... You know, this was my dad, and he was a great guy. Well, he can be a great guy and a serial rapist on the weekends or a murderer. Right. And Michael Jackson, I sadly, I just, I just don't, I just think differently now. You know, it's like it just, it's just, it, I have a hard time thinking of separating it. Basically, mm-hmm. I hear you. So you're on a show now, which is shut down, um, but is resuming as soon as a few weeks from now. Who Hopefully. can say? Yeah, I mean. That could change. I mean, you know, the governor has, you know, started a shutdown process here again. So mm-hmm. who knows? But you're on Little Women LA. Yes. Um, and actually, we we, yes. we had recorded with you on our sister podcast, Georgie and Friends, with Georgie Leahy, who's a frequent um, guest host of ours here. Um, we with uh, Tanya Renee Banks, who's charming, mm-hmm. and brought Amazing. her. Brought her wine and we all got drunk um, while uh, while interviewing her. She was um, really I, I she's a force. She's amazing. Yeah, um, and so you're now going back to that. Oh, yes, hoping so. Like it'll be my third season on the show. Uh, right now we're scheduled to go back soon, but you know things are just changing in in LA and California. Yeah. And then, of course, the thing that we have to be mindful of is, uh, you know, our cast is all in different situations. So some of them, because of their dwarfism, you know, do have autoimmune uh, issues. And They're have to vulnerable. Be more, they're more vulnerable, so yeah. they have to be careful. You know, we have a cast member that just had a baby, so, like, we have to be mindful of that. So it's, uh, you know, I love the show. I love the girls. I love um, working on it. I think it's a great... It's a great blend of, you know, it's got the drama, but it also is really showing and highlighting, uh, you know, a a portion of the population that isn't often thought about. Like, you know, the disabled population and people that have like, uh, you know, disabilities is something that is is, uh, often forgotten about, I would say. Um, And one thing that's been the heart of the show from the get-go is whether we're fighting about you know, whether somebody got invited to a party or if they're like, she was a bitch to me. We're also really telling the story of like, what is it like to be a little person today and what do they have to overcome? And, and uh, you know, I, it's a great show. It's got good heart and I, I'm proud to work on it. Yeah, I don't really know the show. It's, it's an underrepresented group and yet yeah. totally. channels like TLC have really sort of they're kind of in the vanguard. I mean, I think it started with the roll-offs, maybe, Billy, right? Yeah. And there was, like, there's been, like, a, you know, this this sort of, there was, like all things in TV, you know, there's things that become a trend, and there was multiple little people shows, but I think a lot of people have forgotten sort of, you know, what is at the heart of that, and, um, uh, you know, there there's, I, I just watched a Netflix doc called Crip Camp, which was about the... Uh, different disabled and crippled people that used to spend time at a summer camp and they were the founders of the disabled movement and they were the ones that really pushed for uh, you know change in this country and it's so ironic the times we're living in now that there's this parallel where people are like oh well like people need to go home or they need to like watch that doc I mean they like locked themselves up in city halls in government buildings and were like we're not leaving until we get you know, noticed and we get our rights and we, you know, fight for it. And, um, you know, I never had known a little person before I worked on the show. And so I think that one thing that it has certainly taught me is the more exposure we have to people that are unlike us, the more normal, the more comfortable, the more easy. Like, I mean, I talk to people now and I'm like, of course you would, you look when there's a little person. Well, when I had a little person on the set go, well, how often do you see one? And I said, not very often. She goes, neither do we. So when we see another little person, we get very excited, you know, like, because we don't see a lot of people like us. And that was like a clicking moment for me because I was like, well, I don't see little people. She goes, neither do we. So that's why we have this kindred spirit. So now when I see a little person, I'm just like, I know you. I know your plight. I know what you've been through. I know, like, I see you as you and like... 
I am grateful for that with the show. Like I think that it's like it's taught me a lot and they're all strong, powerful, amazing women that have like overcome their situations and they, you know, they fight and they, uh, you know, they're just they're just strong and yeah. I was really charmed by Tanya. I just think she's, you know, um, she doesn't really, you know, see limitations, you know, and she just kind of like, she's, she's ambitious and she's an entrepreneur and she, you know, starts different businesses and products and she, I just was so impressed with her, um, you know, force of personality. And it's funny, Tanya and I met probably 10 years prior and I was doing you a, did? Wow. A, an MTV or a Spike TV show where we were actually being kind of awful to little people. Like it was a show where she was somewhat being exploited, but like I bonded with her on set. Okay. And you know, it was just like, it was something about like we used the term midget, like it was just not good. And like what was amazing and kind of full circle was to be like 10 years later, you know, I walked on set the first day and she was like, oh my gosh. And like, we reconnected and, okay. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been a great, a good experience. I'm hoping, you know, Little Women Atlanta is in production right now and, we, you know, we're hoping to start in August and, uh, you know, so viewers have a new season next year. Cool. Well, Billy, thank you for coming and thank sharing stories me. from reality television and, Celebrity run-ins. And run -ins. all of our technical kerfuffles. And it's part of the 2020, <laughs> new 2020. That's what we got to do. Yeah, yeah. So we Patience. really appreciate it. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And we are going to uh, try to be back up regularly with um, episodes. But please bear with us. And uh, and thanks, thanks for being here. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Thanks.